Before we look closer at God's word, let me uh, pray for us. Heavenly Father, as we look back into the distant past and our origins, uh, it is indeed wonderful what we see. Uh, As we reflect on this uh, Genesis account today, we pray that you would uh, open our eyes afresh to truths in it, maybe truths we're already familiar with, but we pray that they would impact us in a fresh way and that they would help us to appreciate more all you've done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ and the hope that he brings us. Amen. Uh, What is your idea of paradise? What comes to mind? Well, I went on to Google Images, the source of all knowledge, and I put in the the search engine, uh, paradise, and I came up with uh, various images, and there was a recurring theme. Uh, Here is one of them. There we have it, tropical paradise, uh, tranquility, solitude, hammock to rest in. Looks very idyllic, doesn't it? Uh, Another one was this. Uh, A couple in a beautiful sunset. Uh, Interestingly, there were no small children in any of the images which I saw under the heading of paradise. Another one on the same uh, page was this. (laughs) Somebody obviously has a particular obsession with Nutello, but that was their idea of paradise. Food for the stomach. The whole concept of paradise is very, very attractive, isn't it? Very alluring. Uh, But in our world, uh, paradise settings have their boundaries. Uh, Maybe we go on a beautiful holiday to a tropical scene like that, but eventually we have to come back and we have to return to the office or to the lecture theatre. Places of extreme beauty can sometimes be bordered by areas of squalor and deprivation in our world today. I don't know if you were alive in 1989, uh, I was, I was a teenager then, and I remember the, uh, the hit single by Phil Collins called Another Day in Paradise. Uh, it was a wonderful song, but also quite a sobering song. It talked of, um, and it contrasted the careless attitude of wealthy people towards uh, those who are homeless and destitute. And the whole uh, song is a challenge to those who live in incredible comfort with incredible wealth in effectively their own paradise, to think of those who have nothing. Well, today we go back to a world uh, where there was no dark underbelly to paradise. Uh, The paradise which we're going to see today had no boundaries and it had no time limit. Now, if you've uh, whiled away many happy hours on Google Earth, you'll know that uh, when you first open the software, it starts off with the view of the whole Earth from space. And that is where uh, the Bible starts. Genesis chapter 1 is like Google Earth, uh, the, whole, the view of the whole world from space. But then if you put in your Google Earth search engine, uh, Garden of Eden, uh, it would zoom in, would it, would it not, onto a particular point on the planet's surface. And that is what we do in Genesis chapter 2. It zooms in to this garden in this paradise, the garden in Eden, which is probably in the area of the modern-day Persian Gulf. And there, what do we see? Uh, We see a picture of a paradise, a picture of life as God intended it to be, life in all its fullness. Uh, Chapter 1 of Genesis is, uh, at the end of chapter 1, is the climax of the creation account, and it is the creation of humanity. And now chapter 2 zooms in on the life of this humanity in the world that God has made. Firstly, uh, just to give you a heads up as where we're going to go today, 
we're going to look at the goodness of this life in the beginning, in this paradise setting. Uh, what we're going to do is, if you like, dissect that life. Think about what was so good about it. What made it so good? Uh, then secondly, we're going to move on to think about what um, theologians call the covenant of creation, a creation covenant. And we're going to anchor this whole concept of paradise in that creation, that concept of a creation covenant. And finally, uh, thirdly, we're going to trace the trajectory of the creation covenants throughout Bible history and see what hope it gives us. So our aim this morning is threefold. Firstly, we're going to see see what sort of life God intended for humanity in the beginning. Uh, We're also going to understand what purposes God has made us for. And then we're going to see also how in Jesus God will fulfill our deepest longings for a life in a paradise, a return to that original paradise, but only better. So firstly then, uh, let's go back to the garden. Let's look at life in paradise in the beginning. And let's, if you like, distill out the main elements of it. What was so good about life in the garden? And the first thing we see is that there was personal relationship with the creator king. There is this amazing intimate presence of God amongst humanity in Genesis chapter 2. If you were clever enough to understand Hebrew, and I am not, but I'm told reliably by people who are, there is a change in the Hebrew name for God from chapter 1 to chapters 2 and 4. In chapter 1, the name used for God is uh, Elohim, which means the Lord Almighty, the powerful creator God. But now, in chapter 2 through to chapter 4, a different name for God is used, Yahweh Elohim. And the Yahweh bit is all about God's personal relationship, the covenant God who personally relates to people. And that change of name is very significant. It's actually translated as Lord God, whereas in chapter 1 it just says God. It's very significant because it's revealing a new aspect to God's character. Not only is he the powerful creator God who makes the universe, but he is Yahweh, the personal relational God. And that is what we see in the garden. God relating to his creation and particularly to humanity. And when we go to chapter 3, which we'll see next week, we get a glimpse of this close friendship which the, those first people enjoyed with God uh, in the garden. Uh, chapter 3, verse 8. Uh, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. There it is. God and people existing together in a paradise setting. God's presence was with them in a very, very special way. Uh, Can you imagine what it must have been like to have been back there then? To live in the garden and to enjoy such intimate access to the almighty, powerful creator God. To walk with him and to talk with him face to face. And that points to our purpose. We were made for relationship with our creator. And that is the heart of what we're made for. And unless we have that, we will never find true fulfillment. We will never find true satisfaction in life. Uh, The second aspect of this paradise setting was God's abundant provision. 
uh, the garden is portrayed as a place of great beauty and great bounty. Uh, We get a hint of this in chapter 2, verse 9. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Uh, God could have just made a, a standard single model of tree, but instead he creates all kinds of trees. And they weren't just functional trees. Uh, They were made to be aesthetically beautiful. It it says they were pleasing to the eye. And the variety of trees produces a variety of food. There was this abundant provision and bounty in the garden. And we learn from that something very significant. God makes the physical world so that it will delight our senses. Uh, That is the way he has made us, and that is the gift of the world to us, to enjoy it. Uh, Sadly, when we look back into the history of the church, uh, we often see uh, people who get rather carried away with their spiritual enthusiasm, and they become, uh, if you like, aesthetics. They they deny the material pleasures. Uh, The holy man who lives on bread and water uh, and wears sackcloth. But actually, that's very misguided. The delights of the physical creation, they are a good gift of God, and he's given that to us to enjoy. And indeed, he expects us to be grateful for that. That is the appropriate response. 1 Timothy 4 verse 4 says this, For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. That's the second thing we see of that great Abundant life in the beginning. Uh, Thirdly, we see fulfilling work under the Creator King. Now, these days, uh, our experience of work is often tainted by uh, frustration or tedium. But it wasn't so then. Uh, Contrary to what many people may feel, uh, work was not a result of the fall. It was there in the perfect paradise setting. Uh, The man is not left to drink pina coladas and to file his nails all day. Uh, God gives him rewarding responsibilities. Uh, Verse 15 of chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. There it is, fulfilling work for him to do. Satisfying work, which fulfills his purpose. Uh, and the scope of the work that God entrusts to humanity. Uh, it's far more than just a bit of gardening. It's actually the ruling over the whole of the creation. Uh, we're told that God makes humanity in his image. And he does so to rule over the creation as his image bearers, as his representatives in the world. Uh, look again at chapter 1, verses 26 and 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. That is our task. That is what God has made us for to be his image bearers, made in his image, who then rule on his behalf in the world. Uh, The task we're given is one of of stewarding the creation, of developing the creation, 
of caring for the creation. And that is expressed in many different ways. It ranges from agriculture to engineering, from architecture to industry. We are made to rule, to engage in the fulfilling work of ruling the creation on God's behalf and developing it. And the, the fourth thing we see in terms of the, what made up that beautiful life in that original paradise setting is this. Joyful partnership in the service of God, the Creator King. And it's actually the gift of marriage. Uh, for the first time in the creation account, this familiar refrain, it was good, is abruptly countered by something that is not good. Uh, chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now when it says it is not good for the man to be alone, it's not saying that he was lonely. Rather, he is on his own in the task of ruling the creation. And whatever people say about a dog being man's best friend, none of the other creatures was suitable as a helper because they didn't match him. The man is on his own. And the task of ruling the creation is too great for him. And he needs reinforcements. He needs a suitable helper. And so, uh, when God brings the woman to the man, he can't contain his delight. 2 verse 23. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And in this marriage relationship, there is a permanence and a unity created at the deepest level of which sex is a powerful physical expression. Chapter 2, verse 24. Uh, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Now, the fact that the the woman was given to the man as a helper is very significant. Because it tells us something about the true intent of God for marriage. It means that the primary blessing and purpose of marriage is not actually sexual intimacy, but rather serving God in partnership. And that then in turn leads to the blessings of love, of friendship, of children, and order in society. And the man and the woman, they lived together, serving God in partnership in that amazing paradise setting. And to top it all, they get to run around naked without any fear of arrest for indecent exposure. Now, some people would say that is true paradise. There it was. And so, in summary, uh, we can see how good life was in that original paradise setting. Uh, Perfection in every sense of the word. Ecologically, spiritually, and socially. Humanity basking in God's blessing. So, we've looks back at how good life was in the very beginning, in that paradise setting. Let's now seek to understand that blessing in the context of what is called uh, the creation covenant. Now, whilst the word covenant appears over 300 times in the Bible as a whole, the word doesn't actually appear in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. However, I want to convince you this morning that all the constituent parts of a covenant are present in Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, It's implicit 
rather than explicit. And what is a covenant? A covenant is where two or more parties come together to make a form of binding agreement, a legal agreement. They agree on promises, privileges, and responsibilities. And the creation covenant provides the framework for understanding God's relationship with his creation. Uh, There are many different forms of covenant. Uh, Marriage is one of those. But in Genesis 1 and 2, we see a different form of covenant. It's similar to that between a greater party like a king and a lesser party like a, a vassal state. And at the heart of these covenants are statements of promises and responsibilities. Uh, They state the promises, in this case, made by the greater party and the responsibilities of the lesser party. So, uh, who's the greater party? It is, of course, Yahweh Elohim, uh, the creator God. And the greater party makes promises, and they are implicit in this creation account. Basically, God is promising to be faithful to all that he has made. God is saying he is promising to continue to allow its flourishing of the creation. You see, he not only establishes order, and he doesn't only create life in the beginning, he actively sustains it, and he makes the maintenance of life possible. So the point is, as the greater party, God promises to be faithful to his creation. He's not a fickle deity who will pull the plug when he's in a bad mood. That's his promise. And whilst the greater party makes promises, the lesser party has responsibilities. And in the covenant of creation, humanity's responsibilities are this. Unwavering love and loyalty to their creator king. And when we look in more detail at what a covenant involves, it also then involves blessings for faithfulness and curses for unfaithfulness, and we see the two being present in Genesis 1 and 2. And this is where the two trees in the middle of the garden are very significant. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 9. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, Chapter 2, verses 16 to 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. As long as humanity remain faithful, they will remain under God's blessing. And as long as humanity remain faithful, they are free to eat from the tree of life. And as long as they do so, their lives will be sustained. They will continue to enjoy life in that paradise setting. They were free to eat from any tree with one exception. Uh, God's generous permission had one prohibition, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And to eat from that tree would be to incur the curse of the creation covenant, death and the end of life in the paradise. So, uh, we've seen life in the paradise in the beginning. We've seen how good it was. And we've now located this life in the paradise in the context of the creation covenant. Uh, Finally, let's trace the trajectory of the creation covenant 
in the history of the Bible and into the future. Uh, as we're all too painfully aware, uh, the paradise setting is not preserved. Humanity does not remain faithful to the creation covenants. They are unfaithful and therefore they, are, they forfeit the blessings and they incur the penalty, the curse. Uh, they're banished from the garden, they're cut off from the tree of life, and a, they start a slow decline to eventual death. And the question then is this. What has happened to God's creation covenant? Is it now null and void? Has God's commitment to his creation changed? By the time of Noah, uh, the unfaithfulness of humanity has developed to such a degree that God now decrees the curse of death on a global scale. And yet, after the exercise of God's judgment through the flood, it's very important what he does. He reaffirms his creation covenant promise. Genesis chapter 8, verse 21 and 22. He says this, Never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. You see, he's saying, I will remain faithful to the creation. I am still going to sustain it. Its best interest and its welfare are still in my heart. God is remaining faithful to his creation. And what we're going to see as we track along the Bible storyline is that ultimately he is committed to restoring it to that original state of blessing even better. Uh, years later, in Genesis chapter 12 and 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham. And it's the promise of restoring his blessing to all the people through Abraham's family tree. Through that covenant with Abraham, God is saying, I'm actually going to reverse the curse and I'm going to bring blessing again to all the people of the world. Uh, fast forward to the original recipients of Genesis we saw last week that was written by Moses to the Israelite community in the desert after their liberation from slavery in Egypt. And they, of course, are the descendants of Abraham. Uh, they are the ones to whom, in part, the promises apply. And we know that those promises also promised them a special land like Eden, the land God had promised them hundreds of years earlier. As we follow the trajectory of the Bible storyline, sadly we see history repeating itself. Israel does eventually occupy the lands like Eden in Canaan. They again are restored to a place where the land is flowing with milk and honey, a land of delight. But tragically, like the first humans who are banished from the garden paradise, Israel too is eventually exiled from the land of plenty and paradise because of her unfaithfulness. Where does that leave humanity? Are God's promises now null and void? And of course not. Uh, through the prophets, God continues to restate his promise of restoring his blessing. Uh, the prophet Isaiah is one example. Chapter 65 of Isaiah. God affirms that he'll create a new heavens and a new earth. And it will be a total cleansing of this creation, a restoring of a paradise on earth. 
And then we get, of course, to Jesus. Jesus is the descendant of Abraham. And Jesus is the one who restores God's blessing to all the people of the world. Uh, Through his death, Jesus takes on himself our curse, our penalty for our breach of the covenant creation. And through his resurrection, he offers us access again to the tree of life, eternal life. He offers us immortal bodies which will live in a restored creation. And we get to the last book of the Bible, Revelation 22. There we see a picture of the restored creation. And it's an image of a glorious city. And the tree of life is there. And as in the garden, the original garden, to eat of its fruit is to have life sustained forever. And the good news is this. All those who have their sins washed away through trusting in Christ's death now have access to the tree of life. Revelation 22, verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. So you see, uh, for all who trust in him now, Jesus promises another day in paradise. A paradise with no boundaries and a paradise with no dark underbelly. Unending life in the presence of God, enjoying his abundant provision and engaging in fulfilling work in perfect, joyful society together. We have everything to thank God for in the Lord Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, the picture we see of life in a pre-fallen world is staggering and sparkling. It is beautiful, a paradise setting. And yet we see that whilst there are many good things still in our world, that beauty is in some way preserved Uh, In many ways also, we suffer the effects of the fall now. We no longer live in a paradise setting. But we thank you for Jesus, uh, the one you have sent to restore us ultimately to that paradise in the new creation. We look very much forward to the day of his return when he shall bring about that cleansing, that restoring of all the creation. And we pray that you would help each of us now to continue trusting in his death for the forgiveness of all our sins such that we will have access to the tree of life on that day and have life eternal in that new paradise setting. Amen.